With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Glenda Canfield at Glenda Canfield on Twitter. Speaking with Chris Wolf. He is a member of the CTO's office at VMware. We lost our original intro, but all of his contact information is at the end of this call as normal. And please enjoy. So when we were coming up with ideas for what to talk about, we looked at like software-defined data centers, and I thought that was really interesting because, you know, software-defined everything is is out right now, and it's kind of trendy. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, might be confused by what that actually means. You know, how how kind of deep that goes. It's not just when people say software-defined, you're thinking of you know of the application layer. You're not necessarily thinking about network or backup or you know um, you know the server stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, it might be a good idea to kind of talk about how many layers that actually entails and how how all-encompassing it is. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I think there's a really good opportunity here around the software-defined space to make life easier for for uh, businesses and and developers. And you know, if you think about Talking to application folks or talking to a business unit, the things that they care about are things like agility, availability, lowering costs. Right? They don't care what specific technologies, whether it be hardware or software, IT operations is using on the back end to make that happen. And and because of that, you know, we're we're starting to see this this evolution, especially around agility. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the idea of a software defined data center, this isn't just a VMware vision. If you look at uh providers like Amazon and Google, they're doing the same thing, right? I can automate the delivery and provisioning of everything from storage to networking to compute to you know other core network services uh with the click of a mouse. We're trying to do at VMware, we're we're bringing the same level of uh integration and automation into the data center. And like if you look at where Amazon and Google are going, you know, like those folks, uh, we believe that that future is uh, allowing customers to choose whatever they want on the hardware side underneath our stack and then doing all that automation and richness uh, through software so you can have that flexibility. Uh, that is a difference between the VMware vision and some other more traditional hardware vendors in our space that want to tie their software-defined assets to very specific hardware requirements. Well, that kind of would make sense for them, though, right, because they're hardware manufacturers, so they want to make sure that their stuff doesn't get overly commoditized and become just an abstraction layer for everybody else. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the thing is, that, right, that's, that makes sense if you're a hardware vendor and you're trying to protect your business, but if I'm a customer and I'm thinking, okay, who inspires me today? Uh you know, even if it's not VMware, if you're getting inspired by Google, right, when Google needs additional networking access layer devices, they buy an x86 server. They are not buying a networking switch because they're, they're bringing that value into software. Uh, and, and, you know, why? It's, uh, it's great economies of scale. If I can control my variables through a software stack and some virtualization below that, you know, I, I can do a lot of interesting things on the automation side without things breaking, right? And that's, that's where that's important. You know, once you start to tie into very specific hardware components, then, you know, that all goes out the window because right. now 
I, I can't, I, I might not even be able to have a choice of certain service providers now because, you know, if I do, if I do move, now I have to, you know, redo parts of, say, my networking or security stack as examples. Well, how scary is that? I mean, have you talked to the different layers of, of engineering? Because in my experience, when you go in and you start talking to network people about virtualizing their hardware devices, they start to get very kind of possessive. I mean, have you, do you ever have to go in and talk to network people and say, hey, we can put this on a virtual machine and, you know, take the hardware, you know, piece out of it? Does it ever freak them out? Uh, you know, initially it does, but, you know, we've been doing a lot of education now. And, and once the networking and security folks get it, it, it becomes like, okay, it's not like, should I do this, but how soon can I get it? And, and I'll give you a couple of examples. Now, if you think about, uh, like, calling people on your mobile phone today, right? I, I tap on someone's name in the calls. I, I, I have no idea what the phone number is of almost anyone in my contacts list. Yeah, ditto, yeah. Right? <laughs> I'd hate to get arrested. I would not know who to call. <laughs> Right, exactly. So, so now think about this with firewalls. You know, why on earth in, in 2014 are we defining firewall rules still by IP addresses? It's this legacy model. It impedes mobility. It makes things much harder to do. Uh, so, so when we start talking to security admins and say, look, you know what, if you can, uh, define your security policy simply by like a VM or application container and attach that to a GUID associated with that container, now it never matters where you run the thing. The policies just go with it. I don't have to reconfigure firewall rules if I'm doing a DR test or if I'm moving a workload between data centers or, you know, even if I'm acquiring another company. And when I have a, a virtualization layer that I can just put on top of their networking and security stack, I can just integrate whatever hardware they already have. I don't care how anything else is set up. You know, that's a huge win. And the other thing is when we, we have a lot of people where they're, and, and again, hardware vendors love this. Uh, they're they're getting faced with doing 40 gigabit networking upgrades because they uh, uh, they have to do all of this east west networking traffic for things like firewalling and routing and, and IDS IPS type of inspection issues. Right. right. So if I can move that intelligence down to the individual servers instead, right, and, and just simply do the inspection locally in a more of a distributed firewall type fashion and eliminate all of that east-west networking traffic, oh, now yeah. I don't even have to go and upgrade my networking stack because I have plenty of bandwidth for what I already need. Yeah, that's that's a big deal because it improves performance in, in a, an incredible way. But that seems like it would be kind of hard to describe if they, you know, if they can't see it. I mean, does does I know that some companies have like Citrix has a cloud um, that people they can use to demo and stuff against. Do you guys have something at VMware that's similar um, in nature in that if you're talking to some of these guys, you can actually pull it up and say, look, this is in California or look, this is in, you know, New Jersey and this is how it's performing right now. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. And we also have hands on labs that we expose and, and even uh, test drive environments through our own vCloud hybrid service. So we can we can spin up uh, customer environments and, and let them play in, in minutes today. Uh, using our hybrid cloud service. See, that would be a huge selling point, I think, for a lot of people. For me, it would be a huge selling point if I was looking at it. Um, but uh, so that's that's really, um, you know, something that a lot of people I don't think even realize when you say software-defined data center. I don't think they realize how 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 many layers. It's basically every single layer of the stack that's been, you know, virtualized and turned into a software um, interface to to be managed that way, right? 
Yeah, it, it is. And, 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 you know, here's the deal, right? If you look at how, uh, again, it, it's going beyond VMware, Amazon, Google, Facebook are scaling, right? They're, they're defining their, all of their infrastructure and operations and software, you know, cutting down the variables and just building that automation into their stack. And, and, and that's exactly what VMware is doing and, and why we have so, to date already thousands of customers that have opted into the vCloud suite because they, they see where the SCDC is going, whether it be the NSX technology or vSAN, et cetera. And, and more importantly, when you opt into this kind of stack, what you, what you get from a vendor like VMware is automation as a feature. You know, there is no technical differentiation today in automating or, or in uh, provisioning a firewall or a load balancer or a server or storage, you know, et cetera. They are all core IT services that everyone needs. Right. But if you look at most enterprise IT vendors today, mm-hmm. they want to sell you a framework for orchestration and cloud, and then yes. they want to come in as a professional services engagement and do all this custom automation for you. Yes. And it's it's legacy. That is an unsustainable model, and you know we think that's going to be one of our differentiators moving forward. That these are things that we're we're committed to delivering just as a feature of our platform. Right, but you guys still have a professional services organization that'll go in and do stuff if if the customer doesn't feel comfortable doing it themselves. Yeah, and, and you, you need it. You need it, right? Because this is this is transformative technology here. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's customers that are they're changing their internal processes. They're changing their. Uh, they're changing their entire approach to technology, right? We're, we're doing, uh, significant migrations here for customers to move them forward and just to even understand our organizational structure. You know, and beyond that, you know, what I think is going to be happening here just from a professional services perspective is that's evolving too. When you can start just automating your core IT services out of the box, right? Now the, the professional services individuals can start to really focus on the things that matter. You know, look at each industry vertical and look at ways that you can help a business get a competitive advantage within their vertical. You know, that to me going forward is going to be some of the real value of professional services because, again, they're not having to do some of the basic stuff. And, you know, in the past, right, you've spent so much money on some of the basic levels of of automation that uh, your budget's exhausted before you can get into even more differentiation. Well, yeah, and automation tends to be, you know, very expensive because of all the scripting and and stuff. And so you've got to have mm-hmm. highly specialized individuals that come in to do it and write the scripts, and the scripts all have to be unique for the environment. And yeah, that stuff gets, you know, uh, that stuff can get run. You can run away with that stuff. I've I've been in large environments where we've had to automate and we've had to customize everything, and it's it's kind of a nightmare. You know, you got somebody following around each person on the team and seeing what they do, and then writing scripts to do what they do. So. It, it gets tedious and, you know, it becomes, uh, you know, obnoxious. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, with professional services, it would be interesting to see, you know, how quickly somebody like a strike force team could come in and just kind of really um, transform a data center from a traditional data center to a, you know, wholly virtualized data center. I mean, do you guys have like strike teams that do that? Yeah, yeah, we have accelerate, accelerate services and uh, quite a few different professional services offerings, depending on specifically what the what customers will need. You know, whether that be you know rapid migration to cloud, whether that be supporting new DevOps initiatives, helping them make the decisions in terms of what goes to uh, a public or private cloud type of environments. Uh, even through our ITBM tool, our IT business management suite now. Uh, customers are able to do real-time benchmarking. So I can do what-if analysis based on the side of a, size of a workload, how long I'll run it, what are the SLA requirements, and figure out where is the best cloud environment to run that given workload. 
Okay. Well, and that that's, um, you know, that's all really encouraging. I mean, there's some other things that are going on with you guys as far as, like, the Horizon stuff. I mean, how how far along are you guys on? I know you've released it, and, and you guys are dealing with the PC over IP stuff and, and you know, the client um, parts of it. And I've, I have watched a few of the um, online videos where they talk about the software-defined data center and, you know, a couple of the customers are like, yeah, we're really excited about Horizon, seeing how, you know, that fits into, you know, the the current um, architecture of our environment and delivering applications to all these different end devices. I mean, have you had a lot of experience or, or you've been able to, to see any of that in action in some real-life customer environments? Yeah, yeah we, we, we have, uh, I think, our one of our larger customers for the Horizon suite. So this is not just even like view desktops, right? This is talking about centralized identity and brokering to web and SaaS services as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a customer doing that uh, at more than 26 sites globally right now. So uh, the, 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 you know, the, 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 to net it out, you know, mm-hmm. a couple, a couple of things here, you know, a lot of organizations, as you know, right, they've been so wrapped up with things like Windows XP migrations Mm-hmm. That that consumed a lot of time, and then on the other side, you had uh, some mobility initiatives, and oftentimes that was really focused on uh, just putting out some type of compliance band aid, right? Let me just let me just grab a tool that can satisfy you know where, what 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 my privacy needs are and security needs are from a compliance perspective, and then I'll, I'll figure out a mobile strategy later. And, <laughs> right. So what we're seeing in 2014 is like, OK, XP is kind of done. I've, I've gotten past that or at least I all the wheels are in motion at this point. Yeah. And now my, as an IT team, we can catch our breath. Right. A lot of customers I talk to, they're just now building out mobile teams and they're defining like a mobile architect type of role. And they're putting people in place that have the power to now to think about mobile as a strategy. Mm-hmm. And then they can look at strategic mobile vendors. And that's an area where we think we're really well positioned. Okay. Well, mobility seems to be, you know, people are, there's this confusion about bring your own device versus mobility. And a lot of people seem to put those two together. And, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where when you're talking to somebody, you're like, no, no, mobility is a completely different thing than bring your own device. You mm-hmm. know, um, mobility might fit into a section of bring your own device, but they're separate things. Okay. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, because mobility, the, the operating systems that come on mobile devices, um, you know, are different than the operating devices that come on, say, bring your own device, you know, type products where you get to pick your own laptop and bring it in, or you get to, you know, use your your iPad for something. And I mean, these are like known entities. A lot of these operating systems for these mobile devices are, you know, they've got different versions of Windows, different versions of, you know, Linux. I mean, it's just obscene how many different, you know, versions of, of operating systems exist on these mobile devices. And they're just proliferating and getting, you know, more divergent. So it becomes, you know, a different story, I think, and, and it, you look at um, what's possible on a different operating system versus some of the historically, you know, known operating systems that you can kind of wrap your hands around as far as device drivers and printing and things like that. Um, so I, I do definitely, you know, when I'm talking to customers, because I'm a consultant as well, um, you know, I'm an architect and a consultant. And when I'm talking to customers, I'm like, no, no, you've got to be looking, you know, at what are the different operating systems you're willing to support on a, a mobile device, not on a laptop or mm-hmm. an iPad or something or a tablet. Even though tablet is, a, you know, effectively a mobile device, it's offer, also a productivity device in my head. I don't see it as 
simply a consumption device. So whereas phones to me right at this point seem to be more almost strictly consumption simply because of their size and the fact that, you know, you can't really plug them into something and turn them into a thin client yet. So, mm-hmm. Right, not yet. Yeah. I mean, I know that's the direction we're heading in, but but that's not where we're at. And that actually leads to, you know, the next point, um, you know, around VDI. And I know you guys are, are a VDI, you know, um, you guys have that as part of your um, solution. And, you know, to me, and this is just an observation. I haven't had anybody tell me this, but it's an observation that has kind of occurred to me over the last six months or so that, you know, I think that as these uh, mobile devices become, you know, pro- productivity devices, um, I think that's going to be what wags the tail of VDI because users are still going to need to be able to have an operating system to, you know, for all the drivers, for all the software, for all the different things, even if you're publishing apps to them or they're getting their, you know, apps a different way, um, they're not going to be able to use their phone to, you know, the power of their phone to actually run a, a an operating system that's a fully operational operating system that they're, a lot of them are going to need for interoperability for the stuff that goes on on their, you know, network at, at work. I mean, even just going using the web browser, they're going to have to go and, you know, use IE or something like that, right? So for me, it's kind of like, well, maybe this whole mobility thing is leading up to us. And, and I'm telling you this because I'm, I want your feedback, is leading up to us, you know, basically having a, a solid use case for VDI <laughs> instead of just an ancillary use case. I mean, what's your thought on that? Yeah, you know, I guess a couple things. You know, we want to make sure that uh, end users are getting the experience they need in the way that they want it, right? So that might mean uh, ensuring that, uh, you know, we have the proper context awareness so that if a user is on a mobile device that I can give them that rich experience and, and simplicity through a mobile application, then that's what I want to do and make sure that the data access and identity and security and policy are consistent to allow me to do that. Uh, when they're working from home and they need access to a couple of corporate apps, like to your point, that might still need to be exposed through Internet Explorer, then you know I can simply publish that uh, that app out to their their personal desktop or laptop or or what have you uh, to gain that experience uh, that way. Uh, you know, and you know, likewise at work. Uh, you know, we are seeing, especially with uh, technologies like vSAN, we're seeing uh, an increased. Uh, interest in, in, in broadening some VDI deployments because the, the cost is, is getting better. Uh, there's certainly uh, interest in application publishing because, you know, there's uh, there's still a core set of uh, Windows applications that most businesses still depend on, and they, they still need some access to those for users. And then when you sprinkle in, you know, some bring-your-own-device initiatives as well, right, having these uh, the VDI or the app publishing support gives you a secure way to uh, to deliver that. You know, the other thing I would say, though, is that we're really at this interesting point because, you know, VDI is not a silver bullet. Not everybody likes it. Uh, it doesn't work for all use cases, especially when users aren't always well connected. And uh, that's that's one of the reasons we had invested in Wanova Mirage, uh, because that imaging technology plus uh, the layering that we can do now for physical laptops without even needing a virtual machine at all is something that's been very appealing 
uh, to a lot of customers because it, it really lets them you know, manage the endpoints in, in a way that they hadn't been able to in the past. Well, I, I get that, but that technology is not new technology. I mean, this is technology that's been in existence for like 20 years. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just your, it's just your flavor of it. Well, well, the layering is new. I mean, we've been doing image management forever. I'll agree with that, but being able to intelligently build application layers on top and, and define user layers and containerize all that is, uh, uh, is certainly uh, innovative technology over the last uh, five or six years. Okay, well, I mean, I haven't I haven't looked at it that deeply. I just know that you know when you look at like application delivery, application publishing, that type of stuff. I mean, it's not this isn't bleeding edge technology. Um, so when when I think about you know that stuff in the context of okay well you know you got to look at the protocol and the virtual channels and what's supported in the virtual channels on the different client operating systems and what features you know that they'll get depending on what device that they're using and i mean obviously at this point you know things are starting to become more about you know defined by in a lot of ways the dev- device on the endpoint defines what happens on the data center side versus you know the historical way that i grew up doing it was you know I'm going to build the data center the best way um, using industry standards, and you can put whatever you want on the endpoint. I don't have to hear about it because, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter. Now it's more like, hey, you know, what are you planning on putting on that endpoint so that I can, you know, decide what to do on the data center side (laughs) so that, you know, the experience that you get is, you know, something that matters and will be productive for you, right? So now, it, it, essentially, we've given a lot more control to the endpoint devices. Um, but, you know, that's why, you know, I look at, I was asking the question about, you know, VDI and whether or not, you know, because it has kind of stalled out uh, at this point, and it has been that everybody says, oh, yes, this is the year of VDI, this is the year of VDI, whatever. It's never the year of VDI, just like it's never the year of Linux. So it, it's kind of one of these deals where it's like, okay, so is is the you know market essentially creating now using all of these mobile devices that we want to convert into productivity devices, you know, be able to travel just with your phone and plug your phone in, you know, using Bluetooth to like a monitor, keyboard, and mouse, and then pull down like a, you know, a published app or, you know, a VDI. Because with a thin client, if you turn it into a thin client, you can use it to just get published apps or you can pull down a VDI instance. Um, so, I mean, does it increase the use case for VDI? That's the only, that was the big question that I had because it just seemed like, you know, there's so many, um, there's so many legacy things going on where an operating system is still required in some, you know, business, um, I guess, silos, like especially like government or, you know, finance or whatever, where they've still got these, you know, legacy applications that need to be run on 32-bit operation, you know, 32-bit or 64-bit OSs. Um, you know, is the use case going to improve for VDI? Is it going to become more part of the story or is it still going to be marginal and, you know, part of the, um, just something that's, that's an overflow catch all. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, in my opinion, it's going to continue to be a, uh, important technology, but an important technology for a uh, subset of users. And, uh, you know, there's other users that they, they're, you know, well-connected is always relative, right? I yeah. mean, it's uh, it, it's great until, you know, people in your neighborhood are home at night and you're all on the exact same broadband uplink uh, to your cable provider, and now all of a sudden performance isn't so good. 
And once the experience breaks down, as you know, users stop working, right? If if you want them to, you know, you know, put in the extra hours, they got to have a really good solid experience. So VDI and application publishing is not always going to do that. Uh, If I can securely give them a web application or a mobile application uh, for their mobile device and give them that native experience right away, uh, that's going to continue to be the preferred model in in the case of the users, Uh, you know, and then I can use the, the VDI and the containerization technologies where I need that uh, security, that separate separation, or again, I have that cookie cutter user type, or you know, even in a retail vertical, right, uh, where you're bringing in a work from home uh, workforce for seasonal activities mm-hmm. to either just give them a, a, an app or uh, even ship them a very low end, uh, thin client uh, to run at home to get to a, a virtual desktop session is, is something that uh, you know, we've seen a lot of organizations do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's that. There's that. I guess um, I was just hoping that, you know, it, VDI might have more of a story, but uh, maybe I'm just a wishful thinker. You know, I need to stop beating a dead horse over here. Um, the only thing that worries me, though, is with all the, the different mobility and all the different ways of de- delivering applications to users, um, you know, is it going to become too many choices when you're when you're talking about you know uh, users? I mean, having giving them too many options sometimes is worse than only giving them one because they they might complain and moan and bitch about having one option, but when they've got six or seven, they become unsupportable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a fine line. I mean, that's why, like I said before, with where we're going with our Mirage technology. You know, where I can just start doing layering onto laptops where we're, you know, or, you know, there's other ways to just containerize a corporate image and, and put that down onto a laptop as well. If it's not even employee owned, you know, we, we do not agree, uh, that, uh, putting, uh, taking a user's laptop and installing a bare metal hypervisor on it, uh, <laughs> is going to be the future. Uh, you know, some of our competitors, uh, think differently about that, but, you know, we think you have to, uh, give the users a more of a native experience when they're already on a laptop rather than to force them into a specific virtualization model. Yeah, I, I think that the, the native experience is key. I think that that's actually kind of, you know, one of the smartest things that somebody's ever said in this context in that, you know, whatever feels natural for the user and whatever experience just exists um, natively on the device Using the software that's on the device that the user's comfortable, man, you know, um, navigating. I mean, it's got to it's got to feel like a native experience, and, and the performance has got to be, you know, native. And I think that's that's something that um, you don't hear very often, especially from you know somebody from a virtualization company, <laughs> um, you know, like VMware. But, yeah, uh, well, we we get it. We know that the world is more than virtual machines, and we're committed yeah. to delivering the best experience in the best way possible. And when it's a virtual machine, which is the case in a lot of times, right, then great. But when it's not, uh, we want that to also those other use cases to be first-class citizens on our platforms. Right. Okay. All right. So I know that there's some other things that you wanted to kind of get to. So let's. Uh, you you want to um, go in in any direction you want with some of the other stuff that you wanted to talk about, and we can just kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, let's see. I know there's, you know, we, we talked a little bit about SDC. We, we talked about, uh, you know, where we're going with technologies like NSX and vSAN. And, you know, one thing I want to make clear too with that is a lot of, a lot of organizations, they see it and they see SCDC like a pure SCDC, say even on like more commodity based x86 hardware. And they're like, Oh, no way. I can't do this. 
And I, I can't put my my critical applications on that. I, I just don't trust it enough. And uh, right. uh, you know, we would say spot on. Yeah, I don't, we don't blame you. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be this uh, transition period where you're going to be running, you know, very more uh, critical enterprise hardware uh, and enter- critical enterprise software together uh, for some time uh, as you move over to more of a software defined uh, in- in- environment. Uh, but that said, you know, there's there's a lot of use cases where where people can get started today to uh, get on that path. Uh, so, so an example, right? If maybe maybe my uh, SCDC type of architecture on Commodity x86 is being used for dev test. Maybe my tier four applications, like some of my backend uh, IT reporting tools, that uh, you know can live on a 3.9 SLA, and that's all well and good. Uh, when I have web scale applications, and I already have resiliency in the application stack. There's no need to run that on hardware that's uh, designed for a four or five nine SLA. So those are some ways that you can just start down the process. It's a hybrid kind of type situation, right? Yeah, exactly. You want to build some knowledge on some of these new ways of delivering IT. That's that's going to be better for you, right? And then I can uh, you know slowly go in that direction over time. But even in production and even on my critical stuff, we're seeing a lot of uptake from customers that want to use our NSX technology. Uh, just for the, the security micro-segmentation benefits as well as some of the automation benefits that they're not going to get with uh, physical networking hardware. So we're already seeing that creep into a lot of production accounts in a big way today. Okay. Well, and you guys already had some hardcore stuff set in for, like, DR and, and having, you know, enterprise-class DR that some of the other hypervisors didn't come out of the gate with. So I know that, you know, in my experience, it's, you know, part of why you guys basically own the data center as far as server consolidation goes. I mean, other than the fact that you were first, but you're also the best when it comes to enterprise class um, and like DR and migration stuff. And uh, I know before you guys, you know, even actually even a little bit after you guys came along, I was still using plate spin to, to, to move servers <laughs> across data centers. So, uh I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people are comfortable with using, you know, VMware tools to kind of um, migrate and have have a, a DR site. And now with, you know, people wanting to have all of this extra capacity and mobility and ability to choose, you know, what data center a user's going to hit, depending on, you know, logistically where they are on the planet, um, you know, I think that the hybrid stuff um, actually, you know, ties into that. So, yeah, it it does. I mean, that's one of the things that uh, some some folks will miss from time to time when they're when they're thinking about this whole hybrid cloud scenario. They're like, well, you know what? I don't know if I'm ever going to be just moving stuff back and forth all the time anyway. And, uh, you know, the way we feel about that is like, yeah, you know, good point. Maybe not. But there's there's some other things to consider in, in these hybrid cloud environments. A lot of times. You know, if you deploy an application to a cloud provider and it starts there on dev test, odds are it's going to be stuck there for its entire duration. Uh, it's not that you can't move the application out, but the cost to do it or the cost to recreate APIs that the provider had offered is just far too much of a burden. And it's, there's no return on the investment then to move the workloads. So, you know, there, you know, the way we look at it is, you know, there's certain times, there are certain projects where, you know, say an AWS type of approach is going to be the right thing for that application, especially when you're you're comfortable uh, running it and operating it there, or if there's a, a defined uh, period in which that application will operate. But if you're not sure, right, or you, you think you might want to start a, an application running on one provider, but you want some insurance that uh, maybe you want to do it somewhere else, or even more importantly, 
You want to be able to manage across environments, right? Mm -hmm. That's where, you know, we feel we have a real strength because we can deliver a a single set of APIs uh, and beyond that, a, uh, a consistent set of partner integrations. So if I ever wanted to switch providers or, or put a workload somewhere else or pull it back into my data center, any third-party extensions that I put on vCloud hybrid service for a, a given you know, security vendor or networking vendor or performance management vendor, et cetera, I can continue to use those exact same tools and the exact same processes. Nothing at all changes. So you can, you can change your mind all you want, and that experience is still going to be the same, and the costs are going to be the same. Even if you got sick of VMware, you can say, well, I want to run on one of these other 9,000 providers globally that is running the vCloud uh, software stack. Right. You know, that's that's also a choice that I think we provide that's a differentiator. Yeah, and that's a good point about, you know, picking where you want something to live because usually when you when it finds a home there, it's pretty much in there to stay. I mean, you can't – the eviction process is long and expensive and painful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just like any other thing. I tell people all the time because it's infrastructure. You know, it, don't, it doesn't matter. It's still infrastructure. It's got to live on infrastructure somewhere. And once it finds a foothold, it's, it's usually in there for, you know – for a while, so you've got to think about what it what it's going to look like in five years, and and how that's going to, you know, um, how that's going to affect your life and the life of your users, or I'm sorry, the customers. I I'm still on this kick where I call them users every once in a while, and it's so rude. Evidently, mm-hmm. it's not politically correct to call them users anymore. So your customers, um, you know, what's the impact on your customers in five years if you make that decision today? And, you know, yeah, it's it's best to try to figure out a way. And it sounds like VMware's, you know, uh, got some different choices uh, for available for people. Best to figure out a way that you can control your own destiny when it comes to that stuff. Because as soon as somebody else is managing it for you, it becomes part of, you know, a, a joint destiny. <laughs> and it just complicates things. Um, so yeah, you want to own as much as you can, um, for as long as you can, because it gives you the ability to scale up, scale down, scale, you know, out, still in. I mean, you know, uh, if you want to kill something, you can kill it and bury it in your backyard. It's, it's, you know, it's harder to kill it when it lives somewhere else on somebody else's property. Um, so I don't know, but I, I do, um, you know, I am excited about, the software defined data center and and the fact is it seems like you've got a lot of those layers on lock um i know that there's some people out there that are you know competitors or consider themselves competitors and they might have some competing solutions but i still think that everybody's you know uh safety is is with vmware on that that front uh, i don't think that's in question um i do i go ahead it's the value of the integrated stack that people are really seeing. And, you know, something I had even seen at Gartner was if you, go, you went back uh, even three years ago uh, when we were polling organizations at the time, there was this huge emphasis on multi-hypervisor and, and really diversifying the stack at the bottom. And over the last couple of years, that's really turned around where organizations have been opting more for single hypervisor type of approaches. And, you know, one way to think about this is, is if, if this diverse stack was such a great idea, you know, the most successful retail organization in the world today, Amazon would probably be doing it, right? But if you look at like an Amazon or Google architecture, it is as few moving parts as possible. Uh, it's a single hypervisor. It's purpose-built management, right? It's commodity x86 underneath uh, is, is how they've architected. Uh, what a lot of enterprise IT organizations are starting to figure out 
is that they should be reducing the variables in their in their data centers as well too, because that lets them do automation more reliably at, at larger scale and and most importantly at lower cost. Yeah. The, the big problem that that still exists today with the IT services industry, even in the advisory industry to a point, is that uh, there's all this emphasis on multi-sourcing to reduce capex. And you, you go through all this paranoia and all this work to save 7% on the front end. Right. But now the procurement group's kind of thrown that over the wall, and now IT ops has to integrate this stuff, and it's another, another 30% or so on the back end. And, right. You know, if you're the IT services industry, you're going to, you're going to encourage end user organizations to diversify because you can sell them more services to fix the problems that all that diversity created. Right. But, you go back to what business units care about, right? Agility, availability, low cost. You didn't do them any favors. No, because right? it's it's you've got all of these different moving parts on the on the data center side that becomes a nightmare when there's any kind of a problem to try to find out to eliminate, you know, to first to isolate what where the issue exists and then who owns it. Like who what support company do you what company do you call, right? Is it is it a Citrix problem? Is it a Microsoft problem? Is it a VMware problem? You know, so it it becomes is it a F5 problem? Is it a Cisco problem? I mean, it, it becomes a nightmare when there's an outage situation and when you're talking about you know, enterprises at this scale, it, it becomes, you know, a million dollar, you know, outage in five minutes if, if you can't figure out what the problem is and isolate it and start working on the problem. And then when you've got all of these different flavors of things interacting, you've got the, you know, it might be, you might know it's a Cisco problem just based on experience. You might know it's a VMware problem just on experience, but you call in VMware and they're asking you, well, you know, what surrounds this? I mean, what's living in, in its, you know, in its neighborhood? And you start talking about it and they're like, oh, oh, oh no, that's a Microsoft issue. So, yeah, I mean, you do want to try to keep, um, you know, the vendors to a minimum. And, and I think that in large enterprise that most of us realize that that one throw to choke model makes a difference because in some cases you've got direct competitors, you know, in the same, you know, you know, living on the same block and you don't know if they're going to release code that, you know, interferes with, you know, the code of a direct competitor. They're not you know, collaborating on their code, you know, drops. So, you don't know how those tie in with each other or if one of them did something to their code that's going to jack with the code from, you know, its direct competitor. So there, that complexity becomes a nightmare, nightmare to support, you know, and so all this money that you thought you were saving, you end up spending in outages and, you know, people trying to figure out what the problems are and, and hacking away and sometimes, you know, causing more problems. So it, it it's a, a nightmare when you start thinking about it on – on that level from from my perspective you know if i go into mm-hmm. a customer shop and i'm like <laughs> what's going on here you know there's like 50 different things going on in this one spot and it's a single point of failure and they're all on the same you know host and you're just kind of like hmm so uh, yeah i mean it, it i i can understand why that would change you know it would move from people you know being wanting willing to to put a, def, a bunch of different things in there just for you know um, to save money or or to to have some kind of um, I guess failover or flexibility or whatever they thought that that was going to achieve but in the long run that's usually you know a bad idea when you're talking about production and enterprise and outages that you know you can rack up I worked at um, a company, you know, when I was younger, and we had 20,000 users that were concurrent at any given moment, and our outages weren't counted in minutes. They were counted in millions. So literally, you're on this outage bridge with 20 other people, and the 
you know, a moderator gets on like every five minutes and adds a million to what it costs you to be sitting there on that call. So it's high, these are high pressure, you know, um, stakes that these people are living with. And sometimes it makes more sense to, you know, go with an entity that, you know, solves as much of the problem as it possibly can. You know, as far as the solution, coming up with a solution that's as, as broad as possible. Um, you know, you know, sometimes it's worth taking some compromises there and, and being willing to say, okay, well, it doesn't solve everything, but it solves almost everything. It so, is. It is. And, it, you know, people just need to start looking to, to choose strategic partners for their journey uh, and, and stop obsessing so much over lock-in. Uh, right. You know, it's the same thing when you opt into a cloud provider like Amazon. It's, it's, a, it's a proprietary stack that has a lot of value for a lot of people, right? Yeah. So uh, people are people are already seeing that business units are getting more comfortable with this. Or, you know, Salesforce in the cloud is another good example, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it should not be any different in your data center, and that's just something people have to get over. Something I say a lot to customers that, that really resonates with them is I say, look, you know what? Complexity is great for profits, just not your profits. And when people are encouraging you to diversify parts of your stack, you need to ask the question why. You know, whose interest is that really serving? Is it the businesses that I support or is it simply the, you know, the solutions provider that's just trying to make more money off of me? Right. Well, and the other thing, too, is getting stuck on one little piece of it, you know, like saying, oh, well, okay, so VMware is really good for for this part of the stack and Citrix is great for this part of the stack and, you know, um, AppV is great for this part of the stack. And you're just kind of like, no, 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 no. You know, you need to pick one and run with it. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of, you know, that's kind of how I see a lot of that stuff because it's like, you know, there are things that you can do after the fact with like third party vendors that you can put, but as far as the that are partners with your primary vendor <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of a direct competitor, you know, you don't mm-hmm. want that's that's a big thing is, is you just kind of want to keep you know the direct competitors separated from each other <laughs> just for your own safety, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's just how I see it. But um all right. Well, is there anything? I mean, I know that you're on um you're active on the social sphere. I mean, I I've known you. I've been following you on the social media um, you know, or in the social media arena for years. So, I mean, I'm I'm so excited that you're, you know, a CTO over at VMware now and that's so groovy, but really, you know, I've gotten a lot of value out of just following you over the the course of your career the last like 6 or 7 years. Um so, if you want to kind of share how people can you know follow you and and see what you're up to over you know like twitter um, facebook SlideShare. uh feel free because i'm sure that uh, a lot of people would be happy to follow you yeah yes thanks thanks glenda and i I followed you i've read many of your articles over the past you know many many years so you know i I appreciate that coming from you you know on on twitter my handle is just cs wolf uh i do a lot of frequent interactions that way a lot of folks will ask me questions through twitter and I'm, i'm always happy to uh, reply. It's actually a little bit easier for me that way than sometimes keeping up with a you know a whole sloth of email. Right. Uh, and you know we have uh, we do quite a bit of blogging on uh, cto.vmware.com. Uh, you can also find me on my my personal blog, which is chriswolf.com. I don't tend to update that as much as I would like to, just because I'm super busy with uh, with VMware things. But those are some great ways to, to track me down. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know that you you stay super super busy, so I really do appreciate it, and I really enjoyed talking to you. And I feel like I've I've actually learned a couple of things here. So thank you very much for that, sir. Likewise. Thanks, Linda. All right.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.